the better the better fitness that you have your training runs are more fun the events that you're doing are more fun just because you're not you know on the freaking struggle bus the whole time and so with, with kind of that as a backdrop, I, I think it behooves anybody, even if their goals are, hey, I'm going to finish, right? That's my only goal. And I, I have a lot of athletes that are in that exact same position. Still, you, if, when you can stack the entire deck in your favor with high levels of fitness and confidence and a good game plan and all those things that we, you know, that we try to put together for our athletes, it just makes the event. So it just gives a higher degree of satisfaction. Good everyone, that was Jason Coop. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio. Interesting conversations with interesting ra- Dirt Church Radio is brought to you by the presenting sponsor. No, we don't have presenting sponsors. No. But this is the part of the show where we validate the people who support us mm. and make us look good. Yeah. Did you know, Eugene? It depends. That further faster... Mm. are just about to launch their month of giveaways. Why are they? A whole month. Are yep. they really? The entries for what the Four Paws Dog Marathon, mm-hmm. which is you have to run on all fours, or you can run with a dog, whichever sounds mm-hmm. better. Uh, Peak to Pub, which sounds like my kind of race. 21K Crater Rim, and the Kepler Challenge. Wow. The Big Dance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so what, 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 well what they're having they a month of hide and seek. How does that work? Hide and peak. I don't know. Peak and hide. Hike and peak. Hide and seek. Mm. I think Rocky goes out into the wilderness and covers himself in... He makes a small depression. Yeah. And he covers himself with leaf mold peak and style. snow. Yeah. His beard protects him. Mm. And you have to go and find him. Right. Clues yeah. going out every Thursday? Friday, Friday and, and Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. People will find the clues on Facebook, Instagram, and on the Further Faster website. What's the Further Faster website? It's www.furtherfaster.co. Dot dot NZ. Nz. Yeah. And if you're also on the Further Faster mailing list, they're going to send you out the good oil as well. I think the smart thing to do would be to get yourself on the mailing list. The game starts on Thursday, August 1st. And hey, that's like if you listen to the show on the day it comes out on Wednesday. The day before. But you've got to be in that's, Canterbury. That's the next day. To find Rocky. Oh. Yeah. It's a bit lame, isn't it? Yeah. I guess we could crowdfund to put Rocky on a plane, come up to Auckland, we could find him. We could do that. Yeah. Yeah. He's anyway, an adventurous guy. That sounds like, in, in all seriousness, that sounds like an amazing, amazing thing to do, and a really, again, a really clever community-based. That, that's what engagement. I love about them. Yeah. yeah, they're not just selling no. stuff. They're yeah. involved in the community and coming up with cool things to do. Yeah. Mm. Numero dua on our, you know, like the Spanish Toreo. Mm, I like it. Portmanteau there. Mm. Uh, just we'd like to give our appreciation to Ultra Spire. Just a general. Appreciation. Can I just say, sell anything or code anything? Many things, packs that we have from Grant to give away, and such a bunch of um, (laughs) three packs. Yeah, they were. But that's three packs. Three packs. Three packs that we gave away at the 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 live show. Yeah, it was amazing. Go to ultraspire.co.nz and have a look at this stuff. It's great. It's comfortable. We both wear it. We love it. I've been wearing it for years. Yeah, you have been wearing it for years, yeah. and I've been wearing it for years yes. as well. Yes, we love them. In fact, they're getting a bit tatty, Grant. They are. We've been wearing them for years. Yeah. I mean, well, I've had several. Of my 
<laughs> they're great. They're great. I keep buying them because they're yep. great. Spring they're great Energy. Yes. Fantastic. We mm. are launching a competition mm. today when this comes out uh, to win a couple of Spring Energy starter pack sampler packs. Cool. Go Should to, you go our, into go to our Instagram and our Facebook for details. Right. If you are listening to this in the future, it's only valid this week. The competition will be gone. But anyway, Spring Energy, real food, tastes great. Got me through Wu2K. Yeah. Absolutely unscathed. Because yeah. it just it. tastes so good. It doesn't. It really does taste good. It's not got that yucky, sickly sweet. Yeah. Mm. And Cialis. And you managed to have the bananas. Yeah. I, it's, it's cured me of my antipathy of bananas. Mm. Well, no, I'll have it's those. powerful stuff. Yeah, it is powerful mm. stuff. And Cialis. Thanks mm. for the nice hats. They're yeah. amazing. They're Functional. amazing. Functional. Yes. Fashionable mm-hmm. and wonderful. The beanie keeps you warm. It does, but you won't wear it running though, because it's a good beanie. It's g- I know. I'm not wearing it running. It's, it's too good. My formal one. <laughs> anyway, we're rabbiting. Yeah. Thanks to the people that help us keep this show going. Radio. <laughs> Just wait till Lily finishes galloping down the hall. Episode fifty three. We made it. We did it. Hope Lily made it too. Hey, she made it. Yeah, I feel like it's been an age. Yeah, it feels relatively. Oh no, a little bit def- really exciting, and so mm. you're here, and we're, we're we're back kicking it uh, for year two of Dirt Church Radio. A yep. little bit deflating that we don't have a live audience. Mm, I no, I freaked out a little bit like that when I listened to back to the live show. I realised I was talking at like double speed. Right. And saying um a lot. Yeah, but... Because but, I think we're so used to just talking in front of a microphone. Yeah. microphone. But hey, it was really cool. And we've been off doing lots of fancy pants stuff we the last couple been, of weeks. We've we had been on tour. We 2K. Yep. We had the special with Jared Hazen. And then the first anniversary birthday party, we basically betrayed me. Yeah, that was excellent. That was we're in counselling. Best things I've ever done. <laughs> spoiler alert, I turned the mic on Eugene and got up a guest yeah. interview. It was really cool. Really spoiler alert. Go back and listen to it yeah, if you haven't. Hey, speaking of which, go back and listen. The Jared yeah. Hazen chat. Yeah, I mean, we didn't want it to get buried in the furore of the live show and the one year thing and Wu2K, but we, we talked to Jared before we went to Wu2K and it's yeah. such a good Basically, episode. we couldn't help ourselves. No, we, we were sitting on gold out, yeah. and we wanted to get it out. And so that's exactly what we did. We did. We put it out. We did. But if you haven't listened, go back. Because, uh, you know, the things that he had to say. And I, I've had a bunch of conversations recently with people who've got big decisions to make. Mm-hmm. And I kind of end up talking around about what Jared had to say about standing strong. You know? Yeah. When all around you are casting doubt on what you're thinking. Um, you know, having that courage of your convictions to go yeah i want to do this I'm absolutely mm. imagine that you're 17 you go i'm not going to go to college i'm going off to be a housekeeper and go and run trials yeah but that's exactly what he did because that's what he believed in and look where he's got to now look where he's got to now yeah. mm. go to college kids hey what a conversation we had with jason coop yeah that was really fantastic jason coop was that was off the charts it was off the charts and i must admit like out of the two of us, like you devour the Carmichael training um, articles yes. and devour them. I get really excited about them, but very quickly often end up in the weeds. And I thought that Jason's, but I really like training. I really mm. like the preparation behind it. And I thought Jason's um, discussion is amazing. And, and it, you know, he's he's read the books, done the math, mm. and can convey that in a very mm-hmm. uh, 
He's, you know, it's easy to understand. Yeah, it it makes sense. And he, he was like talking about the rice balls. And he's like, oh, you know, and you get a couple of cups of rice. And you do yeah, this. Yeah. And that's 135 calories per serving. Yeah, you know, he knew exactly. exactly. The science is just sitting yep. there, just bubbling away under the, under the surface if you really want to access it. Yeah. But he's got a neat way of explaining things in easy to understand terms. You know, can be polarizing. Yeah. Just ask the proponents of the old high fat, low carb. Yeah. And people but, talking about you know, too. I was reading something today about a lot of his stuff around strength workouts. Yeah. And you don't necessarily need strength workouts mm. to make you a better ultra marathon runner or trail runner. Yeah. They are beneficial for lots of other reasons. Um, people talking about his system, you know, where you start off, like if you've got a system that you don't use in say an ultra marathon, it'd be like, v, you know, your VO2 max, work mm. on that first and then do the mm. aerobic stuff. It, it's really interesting. But if you talk to 15 different people, they're going to have of 15 course. different. And he, you know, he's not, he kind of comes to the conversation, he engages and the chat we had with him uh, was brilliant. Yeah, it was Loved amazing. It. Yeah. And if you want to be really terrified, do what I did and just casually look at a Strava one day without context and yeah. see that he's been doing... 150-kilometre, 30-hour weeks, 200-kilometre weeks, uh, mm. preparing for Tour de Jean. Mm. So I thought we should talk a bit about that. Maybe we do that when we do the bio, but, yeah. um, because he, we come in hot talking about that race. But, hey, how are you? You, you are so, you're running strong, which is excellent, because Wu2K is six weeks away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dialed for Wu2K. Yeah. I, guess, I guess it's germane to what um, Jason talked about in this, if you're fitter, everything feels better and you feel happier yeah. and it just makes everything better. And for the first time, I've said it before, in probably two years, mm. I'm back to what I would consider a um, an appropriate level of fitness mm. and I'm feeling good and I'm just riding that wave and mm. really enjoying myself, really you loving really running. You really look like it. You really, really do look like it when you're out running and it's a joy to behold. Thank you, sir. Hey, but I'm also, of, sorry, sorry, I'm yeah, also... I was talking to a friend of uh, Harry mm. um, when we were... A friend of Harry, or a, Harry? No, a friend of ours named Harry. Right. Uh, Harry, as he's now known in, right. in circles, and mm. we can... No doubt there'll be a dog bark over that, but mm. that's what everyone's calling him. Not me, of course, Harry. I'm your mate. Uh, not like those other guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we were running and he was talking about, you know, he's young, he's relatively new to the thing. He was talking about this kind of distress about... He's not back to being fully firing after Wu2K. And I was saying to him, hey, look, man, it was two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm really enjoying myself, but I'm aware as well that it was two weeks ago. So mm. I'm kind of taking it easy. Recover, recover, yeah. recover. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Wu2K, we yes. had a brilliant email. I don't know if you've seen it. Yes, I did. Uh, from Roger Leslie. Yeah. Uh, hey, guys, I heard you talking to Gareth about the Wu2K. Read Lod Roger Leslie, the old guy from Invercargill, 70 odd, he thought. The old gets sneaked in front of that other famous pair. Oh, that was us, right? And then, yeah, so then he's got a <laughs> screenshot of himself, Roger, finishing in 9.42.45, and then three places behind him in 9.43.30 us. is us. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Hey, Roger, that gave us a really good giggle. I oh, I split my sides when, when you sent that through. I loved it. Thanks for rubbing our old codger noses in it. Yeah, uh, Auckland Flatlander noses yeah, in it. Brilliant. Hey, Invercargill's are not exactly hilly either, so he's got no. nothing over us there, but... You know, he got there ahead of us. He did. Good on you, Roger. Lots of people. I did. do remember that conversation with Gareth, of course, I do, and uh, him going on and on about yeah, Roger. Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe Roger was in the background when Gareth was saying that, just going, Maybe, "I'll know. get them, I'll get them," and got us. He did. Yeah. Hey, I had two weeks off. How was that? It was good. I went for my first run back, apart from my cheat run before the DCR live show mm -hmm. run. Um, 
and it was good because it got me fizzing. Like yeah. this morning, I was rearing to go. Right. Really wanted to be out there. Really enjoyed it. Yep. And just went for a gentle shakedown. It was good fun. Yeah. And yeah, I can't wait. I've feeling got, good? Yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Feeling good. And I kind of, I started last night, I sat down and I wrote a few things that I want to keep in mind, sort of non-running, but running related. Right. Uh, as we build up to Kepler. Mm. You know, things like getting to bed on time. Yeah, resting. Yeah. Committing to stretching. Yeah. Doing strength work. You know, those sorts of things, you know, eating well. Those sorts of things that that aren't training, but are you know, they're almost so important like to it. Coop's hierarchy of needs for ultra. Yeah, yeah, almost. Yeah, well, I should, damn it, I should have just done that. Yeah. I did it the other. I slept in on Sunday. I I missed yeah. you. I was like, I slept in until after yeah. nine o'clock, which is anyone who knows me, that's non-existent. Unheard of. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Even if I finish at like four, I'm up at eight. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, um, yeah, no, resting is good. It is good, yeah. Hey, what else has been happening? We caught up with some results. Ruth Croft. Ruth Croft. She's been just bossing it yeah. in Europe. Absolutely. Yeah, she, over the weekend she won... The Gear de Mont. Gear de Mont. Yeah. Or as Google Translate version of the race website said, victory of overwhelming proportions for a dominant female Ruth Croft. The rider <laughs> of Team Scott seals his gear with the final time trial of 2 hours 36 and 20. And also, I like this... In the women's race, the New Zealand Ruth Croft immediately engages the high gears to immediately fly away from the most aggressive opponents. Ah. Mm. That was Google Translate. Are they talking about the tour, or did a Team Scott person, because Team Scott... Yeah, they were pursuing her. Right. Yeah. No, we talked, did they super... Anyway, doesn't matter. Yeah. No, I was just being silly there. What do you mean? Well, Team Scott, there's a a tour team, professional cycling team, who are all rocking the Scott. The bikes. Yeah. And is he talk are they talking about Google Translate doesn't know trial? what it's talking about. I know, we'll leave it. Yeah. But but I'm anyway, she won a huge pair of scissors uh, as part you know of why? her winnings. Do you know why? Yeah, because she was being chased by aggressive no. opponents. No, sit down. No. Why? No. A, a oh, friend of the show, Holly Page. Oh yes. Was also yes. at this. And she came up with one of my now favourite do you have favourite words? Um, I've got two. What are yours? Uh, defenestration, which is a German word which means to politically assassinate someone by throwing them out of a window. Right. And aniwaniwa, which is the treo word for rainbow. Really? Uh, yes. And you got a new one? Yes, I do. So the Italian town of Premana is world famous for its scissors and knife production. After today's race, I, Holly Page, not me, mm. am the proud owner of all the tools I need to start three new career options. A pro... Now... Holly Page is all about the languages. Mm. Sharon Schnert with my new scissors. That's the art of paper cutting for all you amateurs. A manicurist with my six-piece nail care set. Uh, sandwich maker. She's a bread knife. So, yeah, what was that word? Look, you, you, you say it. Sharon Schnert. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is that, which one was your favourite word? That one. Well, it's pretty good. I'm it's good. To say it. It is good. No, I don't have a favourite word. I do have a favourite saying. What's that? Well, road sign. I have a favourite road sign. Do you have a favourite road sign? Mine is the Deceptive Bends. Deceptive Bends. Which I, I always thought would be a good name for a band. Deceptive Bends. I like Benz. when you go through the checkout at Countdown and you put your money across and then it flashes up and it says 10 to validation. Yeah. That's, I always feel like. 
That's good. Anyway. That's good. Anyway, but also we're well off the path of Ruth Croft, but we need to come back because a couple of weeks ago she had a second at the Dolomite Sky Race. Yes. Part of the Golden Trail series that she bossed last year. But she was under the previous course record and she had to make a really important but really disappointing point afterwards saying, disappointed to see a great racing day tainted by a recurring topic in our sport, elite presentation of the men only in the VK, which is the vertical kilometre, and a bonus for breaking a, a record based on men's time standards and nothing for a women's time standard. How much is it to ask for women and men, men and women, to receive equal recognition? Which is basically a very polite way of saying this is bollocks and it sucks and yeah, it needs to be game. polite. Yeah, it sucks. It's just, it's, come on, what century are we in? 21st. But some people, and that's the thing, I guess we need to talk about it. Some people are stuck in the uh, late 19th. Anyway, yeah. and it sucks. So mm. up your game. Yeah, Ruth Croft has told you, and you should listen, because now she has scissors. Yeah, massive scissors, and she's faster than you. Exactly. <laughs> faster than you all. She'll kill us all without mercy. Rightio, oh, stuff you should know. Yeah. All right. I just don't get that image out of my head of Ruth Croft chasing me with scissors. Um, hopefully she trips. Well, depends, she is rather... She, sure, she would carry sure the safety... Did you learn the safety uh, way of carrying the scissors? She's from the coast. It'd be raised above her head. True. But did you... In primary school, did they like have lessons for you on how to carry scissors? No. We did. Safety first. Safety first. Yeah. I went to school in Wainui Mata. I went to school in Papakura. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky we didn't tell us how to brandish scissors, but... Um... Brooke Van Reenen. Yes is running the Tiararua Trail mm. from northward to southward. He's going home. So, no, so, Sobo. North to south. Sobo. North to south. So he's going southbound. Yes, he's going Sobo. home. Okay, save your fancy cardinal point <laughs> abbreviations there, mate. Um, yes, Brock. Salt of the earth. Good guy. Friend of the show. Friend, friend of, the of show. Our, no, he sounds a friend of the show. No, he's a friend of ours. I've yeah. known him since I was editing Kiwi Trial in the magazine. He used to send me the most amazing photos. Great photographer. Uh, barraged me about having his own articles. He would tell me when my jokes weren't funny. Um, yeah, he's not shy going yeah, forward. But he hardly ever had to do that. No, he did quite mm. a bit. Um, anyway, when's he here? So it's 3,000 kilometres down the spine of the country, really, isn't yep. it? Yeah, Tiara Trail, for Absolutely. those of you who don't know. Uh, he's leaving Cape Leinga on August the 24th and he's aiming to be in Bluff by December the 15th fantastic Uh, he is raising money for the Mental Health Foundation yep already kicked over his first goal which is $5,000 which Mm. is a lovely modest achievable goal I love that you know like Brooks really open he's had his challenges uh, and is raising money to give something back yeah and and to inspire people and to inspire people he is the everyman um, he is one of us, yeah. and yeah, we're stoked to be supporting him. There's a tiny there's a logo, there's a DCR logo on a shirt. No, I saw that. It's so really cool. Yeah. Um, so there's we, a movie about his mission. So yeah, check it out. Uh, we'll put it in our show notes, and it is shot and crafted by two-bearded men of two two-bearded men. Yeah, just I mean, there's a bunch of people who've got him behind Brock, yeah. which is brilliant to see. As you say, he's kind of the everyman. And that's a bit of the story of the movie, isn't it? It's, yeah. He's, he's the everyman who's just out there doing it. You don't yeah. have to be a superstar to do this sort of stuff. Brooke is kind of blazing the trail that anyone can. Yep. So hopefully we'll get to run with him as he comes through Auckland. Yeah. And we're going to check in with him 
we'll catch up with him before he sets off and yep. we'll check in with him regularly throughout the uh, adventure and like yep. a where's brook not a where's wally but where's brook where's on brook? the trail so check out that movie yep uh check out his give a little page that's right and check out when and where he's going to be coming through your town if you're in Aotearoa. Yep. And get Play along. heavy metal music really loud out your windows because he really likes heavy metal music. Yeah, yeah. He has exceptional taste. Actually. Do the old, what do you call that? That's the goat. The goat, yeah. Do the goat. Mm. Not that, that's a shaka. Yeah, don't do that. Do a goat. Could you, well, you could do that. Well, you could do that. You could do a shaka as well, though. You could. He'd appreciate it. Yeah, probably more. Probably more the goat. All right, do the Greatest goat. run ever. Right. We're out of practice. We're so out of practice. Part of the show, we ask you to write in to tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. It could just be a run around the block or a run down the whole length of the Te Araroa Trail. Yeah. Send it into us. Something that's sung to you for some reason. Dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Stop giggling because you're about to have to read a big long one here that we've got in from Alex. I love it when people, like, I love all the greatest run ever but I really like it like when I talked to Zach Miller and he was just like yeah my greatest run ever was when I won that North Face one remember they took that really cool video of me and it, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was awesome yeah that one was my greatest run ever it just makes me laugh how he was like yeah that's my greatest run ever it was pretty good wasn't it and you go mm-hmm. yes can't deny you yes Zach yeah. it was mm-hmm. All right. this comes to us from Alex who's 22 and from Wellington okay shut up about being from Wellington we know you can't beat Wellington on a good day mm. My greatest run ever is completing the Aorangi Undulator last year, the 33-kilometre wilderness backcountry adventure in the southeast of the North Island. I decided to tramp the first part of the course with my dad the weekend before the event, mainly to get an idea of what I'd be in for. I'm still not sure if this was a good or a terrible idea, as the reality check of how challenging the trail would be instilled some serious doubt in my mind. I remember getting to the first hut after only the first undulation. Undulation sounds like it's a bit of a bit of an anodyne Mm. (laughs) undulating you know Mm, mm. and wondering what on earth i'd got myself into but there was something about the thought of tackling a seemingly impossible challenge that made the event even more enticing on the morning of the run we gathered at the riverbed where the run started in the mangatoitoi valley the gentle rain had already started and wouldn't stop for most of the day we moved steadily along the riverbed past the dead cow we'd been mourned about It's the live ones you have to really worry about. Mm. Um, Hopping across the river a few times through a fairy-like forest until we hit the first climb. The terrain in the Eorangi ranges is technical and unforgiving, but the beautiful native forest sheltered us for a lot of the course. I knew how easy it would be to get lost if I didn't follow the orange flashes. It was much of a concentration game as anything. Watch your footing, look out for the flashes. The onga onga, native bush nettle, my hand is still tingling from the weekend before and my hand was attacked by the poisonous plant. Ouch. I quite enjoy the challenge of climbing hills, not so much the downhill part, though. No, I hear you've, got, you. you've got it wrong. No, I um, hear you. There was no shortage of both up and down on this course, to say the least. For the parts, the run, I bush-bashed, slogged, and crawled with other runners, and other times I found, my, I found comfort in my own silence. There were moments when the bush got pretty dense, and then the hut next, to, next would appear. The next hut... Oh, I'm butchering this. I apologise. The next hut would appear. The next hut would appear, marking the beginning of the next climb, each bit further than the previous one. The most memorable moment for me was arriving at one of the signs of encouragement handwritten on a piece of cardboard tied to a tree in true grassroots fashion. It read, find your happy place. In that moment, I realised I didn't need to find it. I was already in it, in the thick of Aotearoa native forest. High on endorphins, I made it to the top of the final, seemingly never-ending undulation, and enjoyed fresh water and strawberries before making it down with the little I had left in my leg. 
past the Putangirua pinnacles to the finish line. I felt so grateful to have my to have a body that could carry me over these hills. Finishing this run without getting lost or injured made me realise that running is such a privilege that I too often take for granted. This run sticks in my mind as it was the first time I'd overcome real doubt about such a mental and physical challenge. More importantly, it was a day I spent with such supportive people in our unique natural environment and I can't think of a better way to spend my day. Thanks for reading. I'm helping at an A station for Wu 2K so I might see you passing by soon. Well, I hope Aww, you did see us passing we, yeah, by I hope soon. We did see nah, you, Alex. Mihi nui, na Alex. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. It's then. so awesome. And, you know, to take on such a massive challenge and to find the glory in it is what it's all about, yeah. really, isn't it? And for those of you who don't, I mean, the Aorangi, it's, it's, it's just. It's no joke. It's no joke at all. It's no joke. And I think he gave quite an apt description there. Yeah. Mm. Right, anyway, Jason on Coop. to our conversation. Yeah. Yep. Jason Coop. So Jason Coop is the director of coaching for Carmichael Training Systems, and he's been there since around about 2001. Mm. He joined young. He was coaching track and field when he was a teenager, and ever since then, as his biases, he's been hooked on making athletes perform at their best. If you venture out into the Rocky Mountains, you'll be sure to find him running, cycling, camping, or fishing somewhere. In 2006, he traveled around the United States coaching and supporting Dean Carnasis as an ultramarathon man, ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days. Carnasis again tapped Coop's experience in 2011 for Regis and Kelly's Run Across America, a nearly 3,000-mile cross-country run. His personal ultra-running res- resume includes two top 10 finishes at the Leadville Leadville Trail 100 run and finishes at some of Ultra Running's most formidable events, including the Western States Endurance Run, the Badwater 135, the Wasatch 100, and the Hard Rock 100. And he is training for the Tour de Giant. So tell us a bit about that. So it's Tour of the Giants, and it's a 300 plus kilometre uninterrupted, unsupported race through the Italian Alps. Wow. And it's bananas it's bananas and it's going to take something like 80 hours yeah 80 hours is is a is a classy like snappy time i think we were talking about this he was on the ginger run alive podcast and he said that he'd figured out that his wife had time to be at home in colorado finish what she had to do at school she's a teacher after he'd started drive to denver catch a flight to geneva drive to where he was yeah. and still have time to crew him for the last 100 miles. Jeez Louise. Yeah, so I he's mean, taking on a massive, massive, massive race. Yeah. I mean, there's the the record is 67 hours, 52 minutes. 50. <laughs> the record that you track by a oh, calendar. Wow, about 330 kilometers and the elevation. I can't see the elevation here, but I mean, it's, it's bananas. Not, it's it's going to be bananas, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. So he's doing that. He talks to us about that. He talks oh, to us 24,000 meters, which that is 78,700 feet. Wow. <laughs> wow. Man, your driveway's pretty steep. Yeah, my driveway is steep, but it's not that long. Not that long. No, no that's true. Uh, so he talks to us about that race. He talks mm-hmm. to us about his training philosophy. Yeah. Uh, and Nutrition, a whole bunch more stuff. Racing, his greatest run ever. This was a really, I felt really privileged to actually have this conversation. It was one that I didn't want to stop, actually. No, it was one that yeah. I didn't want to stop. I was looking and, at the clock going, really? And also, if you, if, you, if, you, if you hear him speak, and if you see the man, I mean, he's younger by a couple of years than me. Yeah. And he seems, he's got a wisdom about him, eh? He's got yeah, a, we talked about this, He's got we? a real gravitas. Yeah. So, without, oh, we're gushing all over ourselves here. Um, look, 
this is a, a brilliant conversation. We're very, very thankful. And uh, yeah, give it up for Mr. Jason Coop. Okay, kia ora everyone. So we are very pleased to be joined all the way from Colorado Springs, Jason Coop. Kia ora Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's our pleasure. Hey, um, we were talking just before uh, we got on the mic about uh, your preparation for, for Tour de Jeans and you were talking about you know your your run this morning. How, how are you holding up for such, preparing for such an amazingly uh, brutal, epic adventure? Um, I, I'm holding up okay so far. I mean, I don't have that much training left, so I feel like I've gotten through this whole thing relatively uh unscathed um you know it's it's by far the most like time volume that i've ever done for anything and that's you know considering i've trained for you know bad water at hard rock and things like that i think that's you know that's 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 not trivial um but because it's been almost all hiking you know hiking uphill and then running downhill um, my, my, I just feel like my body's been adapting to it really well. Cause when, when you say volume and you, you've been doing sort of up to 30 hours 30 a week. Yeah. Wow. That's, a, that's a lot for me. I mean, I've got a normal job and you know, I've got to work 40 or 50 hours a week and you know, it's not like I'm you know, a professional runner or anything like that with unlimited amount of time or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not subject to get getting injured or anything like that. So I've, I've been pretty happy with the amount of time that I've been able to, to put in. And like I said, up to, you know, up to now, which it's, you know, July 25th, I've been able to come through it relatively unscathed. So yeah, yeah, pre- pre- pretty happy with, with it, but you can never do enough. Right. I mean, this is just yeah. one of those things where it doesn't matter how much you do. It's still a big, you know, it's a big unknown uh, yeah. uh, out there. And so I'm, I'm quite I'm quite cognizant of that, that I could easily do 60 hours a week and it still would be a lot of. Unknown, right. Right. I mean, I, just, I still couldn't I couldn't, you know, quite po- I couldn't possibly replicate the entire demands of the uh, of, of the race in a training week or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's bananas, isn't it? And, you know how long it takes and 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 we are venturing it's crazy race i wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because you know one of the things that you are known for and you're known for lots of things is is you you were the coach and advisor for dean carnesis on his 50 marathons and 50 days and 50 states and also his uh is it regis and kelly's run across america um i wanted to get the, (laughs) the full title in there i don't know who those people are but um how i mean how do you prepare if you were to be you know, coaching an athlete, how, how do you prepare them for that? An event which, like you said, you could do uh, 60 hours a week, you could do 90 hours a week. There's there's also that X factor there. Yeah, well, both of those kind of using using those as an example were actually quite different. You know, the 50-50, Dean was actually quite capable of that from the onset. Um, you know, he's done training where, where it's not dissimilar from running a marathon a day for 20, 30, 40 days or something like that. And so my role in that was just to make sure that the train doesn't run off the tracks, right? Make sure that, you know, he's healthy, that he, you know, that he doesn't get hurt, that the event as a whole, you know, runs with, you know, very few hitches in it and, 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 and more so just be kind of an advocate for the, for the athlete with all the other media obligations and and things like that, that are going on. Um, the, the run across America was a little different just cause, 
you know, he's doing 50, 60 miles a day, you know, across the whole, you know, across the whole country. And uh, that, that was something that he definitely had not done before, although he's done a lot of, you know, prolific running and prolific training. Uh, it was definitely something where he, he had a little bit of, un, uh, of unknown. And so, you know, some of it is, is just preparing the athlete for that unknown and just letting them know that, listen, the training is only going to take you so far. You know, and there's going to be a point with which um, you're going to have to kind of take over with your own, you know, internal resolve, drive and, and determination to 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 get things done and getting the athlete kind of psychologically ready for that, you know, and emotionally mm. ready for that becomes a big becomes a big part of the training process. And that just happens through a lot of conversation and um, you know, kind of laying them down on the, you know, on the, on the psychological couch, so to speak. And, uh, just working through all those different situations where, okay, you know, what do you think about this when this happens? What do you think about that when this other thing happens right. and just make, make sure that they can kind of come to terms with, with a lot of those different scenarios that are, you know, probably unforeseen, but, uh, uh, you can help them work through the process in advance. Yeah. So, it's, so, so it's actually, so you actually, I mean, you're acknowledging that there's going to be a point where it's you're beyond whatever you can train for, but but more than that, you're actually giving your athlete and I guess yourself for this event that you're facing tools that you can use when that point comes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, and that's a big part of coaching. You know, it's not just putting a schedule up on the calendar and saying, okay, go run two hours on Tuesday and an hour on Wednesday and, you know, stretch your legs and lift these weights and things like that. A a lot of coaching, uh, and I've come to appreciate this more, more and more, the more kind of experience and the more years kind of go by. uh, A lot of coaching is just preparing the athlete for the environment that they're going to be, be in it on race day. And it's really not dissimilar from, you know, an athlete that's trying to win a race to an athlete that's trying to complete their first hundred miler from somebody who's running across the country, you get, there's always going to be some element of unknown and adversity and things like that. And getting, getting them prepared for that becomes a big part of the whole, becomes a big part of the whole battle. Cause ultra running is one of these things where, you know, it's, you can't, you, there's no way that you can completely and entirely prepare for everything that the course is going to serve up on race day. There are always going to be, you know, things that happen that are unforeseen or wild cards or things that are kind of beyond the, 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 the training scope and helping an athlete kind of in advance, get, giving them the tools to cope with that becomes a big part of the training process. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's kind of, uh, I think, you know, in exchange before you came on, we mentioned we, one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was your, your holistic approach to coaching, that it is more than just, you know, here's, here's some, here's some mileage on training peaks, go do it. So you, I mean, that's, is that an approach you've come to that more sort of rounded uh, building relationship kind of approach? Is that, is that something you've, you've, you know, you've developed and learned or, or was that always the way you coached? No, it certainly wasn't always the way. Um, when, when I first started coaching, I actually worked with a lot of sports that were, really far outside my, my own experience. So I was a, you know, I was a runner by trade. I ran in, you know, high school and university and, uh, I had a lot of running certifications. I coached youth track and field and I had, uh, USA track and fields, you know, coaching certifications and kind of all that other stuff. 
But when I first started working with endurance athletes, I worked with all different types of endurance athletes. I worked with cyclists. I worked with mountain bikers. I worked with triathletes. I also worked, and I also worked with runners. And a big part of that initial education process for me when I first started working with all these different types of endurance athletes was just learning about the nuances of the sport, mm. which, you know, are markedly different. You know, they're all aerobic sports, right? So if you understand the cardiovascular system and how it works, you can, you can, you can get a good fix on what to do. But understanding the nuances of, okay, this is a mountain bike race, you know, here's a power file from it, let's break it down, let's see what the demands of the event are, okay, here's a triathlon, you know, this is about how long it's going to take, swim, bike, run, this is about what intensity they can do those activities at, and things like that. So a lot of my early coaching education was through the lens of of the technical side of each of those sports, kind of the X's and O's of, of, of how those sports worked and how to prepare the athletes for them. And that, and that's simply a byproduct of, I didn't know anything. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was not a triathlete or a cyclist or a mountain biker by yeah, trade. So, so you want to know how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to learn all of those things. And so I started with that and I grew, you know, what I would call my technical proficiency across mm -hmm. all of those, uh, across all of those di disciplines. And I was very, very fortunate that I had many very high level and extremely demanding mentors that I had access to at my fingertips. I mean, the, you know, training center, uh, uh, the U S training Olympic training center is located here in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And that's where I spent a lot of my, uh, or Colorado Springs is where I spent a lot of my kind of early, you know, formative coaching years. And it, it's influenced by the training center, although I didn't work there directly, all mm. of the, all of the people in and around coaching and sports science and things like that get influenced by, you know, by the training center and all the, and all the top people there. And so I had all of these just fantastic people that were just really hard on me um, when I initially started coaching. And it just it just forced me to to just kind of really know my shit, for lack of a better word. Mm. And so anyway, that was kind of the run of show, I'd say, for the first, you know, five or eight years of my whole coaching career was just really working on like the technical proficiency of the X's and O's and, you know, how to build an athlete and things like that. And then after, you know, after I really had a, had just better, better footing, you know, across all different endurance sports and that is really where I became, where I just came to appreciate the psychosocial side of, of coaching a whole lot more and building relationships and making sure that, you know, the, that the coaching relationship goes beyond the, you know, what's in training peaks and that you, you know, exhibit things that you care and you build trust and, you know, all, all, all the, like I said, all of the psychosocial uh, components of this coach athlete relationship. So it's definitely been an evolution, right? Mm. Where it first started with a lot of technical proficiency and then graduated to more of the softer science type of uh, proficiency. And, and that's certainly evident. I mean, I've read some of your articles and I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, like I'm anyone who knows me, I'm not an XO guy. And some of the stuff that I read on sports science or sport, you know, it leaves me absolutely in the weeds. But then if uh, looking at a tweet, you know, you're saying, you know, from mountain bike, like you said, adapt to nuance from road cycling, you know, find a better way to measure intensity from triathlon intensity matters. That really makes sense. It's, it's put in a very sort of 
common sense way. One of the things I really liked about what you said is about how people who are running longer events should go by uh, perceived intensity. So relative mm-hmm. perceived intensity. Can you explain that? Because, you know, we've all got these sort of supercomputers on our wrist now, which tell us our vertical oscillation and our heart yeah. rate and our VO2 or whatever. Uh, what's, why is random, uh, sorry, why is perceived exertion better? Well, to, to kind of dovetail off of, you know, that initial experience, um, uh, you know, I was coaching cyclists in the early 2000s. And that was right around the time where cycling power meters um, right. started to become just just more uh, kind of prevalent uh, amongst the consumer markets. The pros always had them um, uh, on their training bikes. They didn't race with them because they're too heavy, but they always had them on the training bikes. And we always had data from uh, from from the professional cyclists. But in the early 2000s, the you know the price point and the accessibility for that device started to just get a whole lot better and more and more people started started using it. And so the coaches had to adapt to that and everybody had to learn how to use power in training. Uh, the previous tool that we used was heart rate based training. And I, I remember very vividly during that transition that we would have athletes that uh, uh, previous were using heart rate and then, you know, they bought a power meter, switched over to a power, power meter. And then we started using, you know, power meter based training. And in a, a lot of ways, may, way more ways than most of the coaches at the time would care to admit, I certainly don't admit admitting it, but we looked like idiots because we went from this way of prescribing intensity, which was heart rate to a, a way, 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 way better way of prescribing intensity, which is power. And when you look at those side by side, it doesn't, it doesn't take a physiology genius to go, Hey, the way that we are previously doing this wasn't very good compared to the way that we're, we're doing it now. And so that was a a very formative time in my whole coaching process with, with, with using not just heart rate, but, but technology in general. And so now I've got this lens to look through of which I can say, okay, what's in the best, what's in the best, uh, interest of the athlete to learn how to gauge intensity. And, uh, you know, I've used it all. I'm a big advocate for technology, not only, you know, from that early, you know, power meter adoption phase, but even with, you know, running power in air quotes, um, as well as all of the other um, biomechanical uh, types of data that you can get from, you know, whether it's, you know, the stride pod or any of the competitors that are out there. I've been, you know, kind of first in line to evaluate a lot of those products. And I keep coming back to the fact that in a trail and ultra running situation during the race, athletes are going to have to rely on their internal rate of perceived exertion to get the intensity right. Heart rate is not going to do the trick. Power is likely not going to do the trick, even if it could get, you know, perfected. Pace can't do the trick. There's kind of no other tool out there. And so since rate of perceived exertion is such a it's such a critical skill. And I think that's the way to view it. Mm. Such a critical skill for an athlete to have. You absolutely have to forge that every single day in training. Like if they're going to, if they're going to have to leverage that during a race and it's going to be a critical thing that they leverage during the race, 
you sh- you sure as heck you know better be sure that they have that skill readily available and highly highly tuned during the actual training process. The, the 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 example I always give is, is like if you have an athlete that's training with heart rate every you know kind of every day, and then all of a sudden their race is at you know a thousand meters or two thousand meters higher or lower than their you know than their training base. Now the tool that they've completely organized their intensity around is now useless, mm. and you've and you and you've left them in a position where. You know, it's like telling a basketball player to practice without a basketball, right? right. The fundamental <laughs> thing, the fundamental thing that they have to use during the game. So anyway, that the 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 primary reason that 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 I that I have continually, and this hasn't just been always, right? I mean, when running power comes out, you evaluate it. When this comes out, you evaluate it. The primary reason I keep coming back to RPE in a trail and ultra situation is just simply the utility that rate of perceived exertion has in that in that race environment. Mm. And that whole, I think you've written before about the energy that you expend if you are having to constantly think, what is my pace? What is my heart rate? Mm. If you're looking at your watch all the time, that's just burning up. Uh, you know, concentration and burning up energy that you don't otherwise need, isn't it? So, but how how do you, I mean, I guess I've always tried to run like that. I, I kind of don't get too hung up on what's going on on my watch. And when I think about the times that I have is actually when I've had my worst races or my worst, you know, runs. But how do you, how do you learn how to be honest with yourself in terms of exertion? Because it's so easy to just default to well for me anyway and i guess it goes the other way too but for me it's sort of like oh it's i'm going too fast i better slow down when really i'm not um and and i guess for some athletes it's the opposite you know they're thinking no no i'm fine i'm fine but they're not they're going way too fast so how do you teach your athletes or how do you advise runners on how to get that balance right yeah well so i'll give you two kind of very practical things that we use but but before that the thing that's the mo- the thing that's extremely important to un- to understand with this is that it is a honed skill. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like go out on one run and okay, I'm going to focus on my effort today and then you've got it. Like that doesn't right. happen. It takes hours and hours and hours and hours of deliberate practice in order to make it second nature because just like pace Right. Just like your example with pace, you don't want to be looking at your watch every 10 seconds because there's a effort that's associated with that, you know, with 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 performing that action. It's the same thing if you're evaluating your intensity. Right. Every five seconds, if you're constantly thinking, am I going too hard? Am I going too easy? Am I going too hard? Am I going too easy? That's going to take away time during Mm -hmm. the race and that's going to weigh on you during the race, just like analyzing any other sort of, you know, tidbit that's actually going on. So the first thing that I always emphasize to people is that it's a skill that you have to hone and it takes time. So don't expect any you know, lightning bolts to come out of the sky or like flashes of brilliance or anything like that. You have Mm -hmm. to work at you have to work at it. So two thing, the two things we do is first is we set up the intensity sessions that we have with athletes to do the job for them. 
So the construction of any of the interval work that we do will pigeonhole them into the intensity that we want. We always give a rate of perceived exertion that's associated with any type of interval workout that we do. Okay, we want you to do this set of intervals at an RPE of eight and this set of intervals at an RPE of nine and this set of intervals at an RPE of 10, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is in our coaching group is, is, is really astute at this is we organize the combination of total workload, the number of intervals and the amount of recovery between each interval to essentially force the athlete into the correct intensity. They might overshoot it a hair at the beginning or undershoot it a hair at the beginning, but over the course of the entire set of intervals, they're going to hit the right intensity. The, the easiest example that I give is, okay, we want you to do six by three minutes hard, three minutes easy, which is a classic VO2 max workout. That should be done at an RPE of 10. You can't do it at any other rate of per- – I guess you could go easier if you were just like super slacking off, but we don't have athletes that that, 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 <laughs> that really do that. So by doing that and by making sure that the construction of the workout has that right combination of elements, you start to teach the athlete what's sustainable and what's not. If you design another workout, let's just say four by ten minutes, right, and – they go out at too hard of an intensity. They very quickly learn that throughout the course of the set of intervals and mm. throughout the next interval session and the next interval session. So it's this constant reinforcement during the training process. And that reinforcement is, is, is largely driven through the construction of the interval set itself. So that that's, that's the first thing is just making sure that whatever specific work we're giving the athlete has, has the right architecture with it. The second thing that we do, and we do this at our, at our camps a lot is, and this, this is, this is really fun to do. If you you know have a training partner or I get to see my athletes and run with them in person, I, I, I do this a lot is just to do a talk test. And, you know, just very fortunately over the course of 20 years, I've done enough, lactate threshold and VO2 max testing. And I've run, you know, enough intervals with athletes that I've become very astute at just listening to how they breathe. And I ask them to talk to me during certain workouts. And if there's a discrepancy between basically how much they can talk back at me and the intensity that we're supposed to be at, we'll dial up or dial down the it, the intensity a, as appropriate. Mm. And so using a combination of both of those two, and sometimes I'll have the athletes, in, you know, I can, I, I can send you guys the instructions for this, this talk test after the, you know, after, after we record this and, and you can, you know, post it if, if, you guys, if you guys want to. Yeah. But um, using a combination, kind of those two techniques, most of the time we get people into the right, kind of in the right ballpark and we give them those skills of being able to dial up the the intensities. And interestingly enough, it's become a really big, I think at least for, in particular on the elite side of things, I think in trail and ultra running, it's become a really big deal for athletes to be able to dial in different types of intensities because the athletes are getting so good. And I've got really good data that illustrates this where during a 50 mile or a hundred kilometer like hilly race, they can race like a good, a good chunk 
of of that particular race in that area, you know, five, six, seven hours or something like that, they can race good chunks of that race really close to their lactate threshold. And that's because the climbs are going to take between, you know, 20 minutes and an hour. And you can run at threshold for that, you know, period of time. And then you can recover somewhat on the descents. And then you've got another climb that's like 20 or 40 minutes. And then you can kind of recover on the descents. And so if you're constantly reinforcing like what, what intensity is sustainable on those types of efforts, it, it, it produces a much better race result because the athlete knows like how hard they can push on each one of those climbs and how much recovery they can get at certain intensities. So it's, it's, it's become quite interesting to see all that unfold, particularly on the elite side. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, I, yeah, I, I was just, I was just thinking in my head, I watched, um, uh, one of your, athletes uh dylan bowman come through the tarawira outlet um with cody reed hot on his heels at about well, kilometer 50 50 of yeah. the tarawira 100k yeah, yeah. and it was an, an uphill you know and he was running like he was on the flat it was just that sense of where we've come from in this sport isn't it where yeah. these, these athletes are now able to push so hard it was actually a little bit it was not frightening, but it, it was sort of a little bit otherworldly, you know. Like these, it was like a rush of air. These 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 athletes came through, and then sort of then there was cobwebs, and then tumbleweeds, and then yeah, the next pack came through. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, yeah. Well, marked. so my so my my pre my previous training, right? If I were just to kind of like blindly follow that into trail and ultra running, would say okay. You know, this 50 mile race is a six hour event, right? And a six hour event is going to be way below somebody's threshold. It's going to be, you know, 75% of VO2 max or something like that, like super low intensity and whatever. Very fortunately, I one of the first things I did when I started looking at ultra runners was dig a little bit deeper than that. And one of the things I found, and the elite athletes just tend to, emphasize this a little bit more just because they're better right is they can race at at like at very different intensities during the same race simply because they know how hard to push themselves on the climbs and they can recover a little bit on the descents and from a and while that sounds that that might sound kind of like a duh thing it actually changes when you know that it actually changes the training dynamic a whole lot because you want to be able to prepare the athlete for those specific demands. And you do things like far markedly different. If you know that mm. let's just say in that six hour event and Dylan's a good example of this, he's run, you know, this North face race out here, which happens in, uh, used to happen in December and now it's in November you know, uh, for, for several years in a row, I've got good data on him where he can accumulate two, two and a half hours within 10% of his threshold, right. Within 10% of his lactate threshold throughout that race. And that's a much market, uh, that's, that's a markedly different training proposition as opposed to something that has a more monotonous type of intensity. Like mm. if you were training for a 50 mile run on the track, right? Just from an yeah. intensity perspective, right? Obviously from a train perspective, you'd train those differently, but just from an intensity perspective, I would train that a whole lot differently than some of these other high profile, you know, mountain ultra races where the, where the intensity is very stochaic. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, and like I say, it's, it's so such a different proposition and that's why you do have to apply specificity, specificity. I always stumble over that to your training, don't you? But 
And I think it, what I'm hearing as well is, and I've, I've, you know, I've been the guy who's done the, the track workouts and done everything like that and then gone into the race completely sort of mentally unprepared and really stumbled when the fact that it gets difficult. What it's, And then I've had other races recently where I've been a whole lot more in tune with myself. It sounds like what you're saying is, you know, with these high-level athletes, with your enthusiastic amateur athletes, the main thing that you're doing, you know, despite all this really sort of specific training, different intensities, is learning to know yourself and that congruence of almost like there's no mind-body split. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that, that, that describes it really well. And like I said, the elite athletes are just really good at kind of emphasizing this because, you know, once again, they can exaggerate the highs and the lows because mm. they're so much better. But, all, but also, in a 50-mile race, when you know, top three people are only separated by 10 minutes, which is becoming more and more common, that training specificity starts to make a, a much marked difference. It used to just be, you know, a little, you know, not to sound too flippant about it, just more of a physiology proposition, right? Just right. who has the bigger engine. And that's still a big part of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll still train people to have the biggest engine possible. That's kind of priority number one. But when the when the when the density of competition is so very tight a lot of that training specificity starts to matter more and more and more as compared to just the size of the engine which is how we mm. used to look at look at performance through right so will you train okay so you're talking about the specificity for if you're going to do like a particularly hilly technical 50 miler or or what have you this is a flatter one of that yeah. kind of stuff hey? and and you you talk about don't you of sort of knowing like for instance how much hiking you're going to have to do in a race and training for that totally. so, so totally being being ready for what you're preparing for yeah. I mean, and, and hiking is actually, it's really interesting. It's one of those easy things to figure out, but I guarantee you, you reach out to a lot of the athletes and the, and, and the coaches that are working with trail ultra marathon runners and you ask them how much hiking their athlete is going to do an XYZ race. You're going to get blank stares. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, and it's not, and it I, is I, not that hard to figure out. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's, I, I'm just reading, uh, I've just started reading a Darren and Finn's book, rise of the ultra runner. And he, he was talking about how the fact that he came from like a very classical like road marathon mile background and, and he basically said, you know, he sort of sneered at the he sneered at it basically. Hiking yeah, is we're walking. Why, we're we're walking? Right. Why are yeah. we doing this? It's, it's it wasn't a measure of sort of probity or um you know, the the purity of running. Well, now fortunately what's happening is is like we get so much good like in like in race footage of the really good women and men in in these races and you can see killian killian jarnay just yeah, posted video. a video of this on twitter yeah. right yeah. so you could see them right next to each other and some of them running and some of them hiking and more than half the time the hikers are moving faster than the runners yeah, yeah. yeah. and so and it was it, interesting it, to hear someone like killian um pointing that out well there's a, there's that video of anton krupitschka and killian jarnay coming up uh, one of the grand tetons have you yeah. seen that and they're both hiking and they're moving so when that you when you is see that the one that of, somebody turned into a moonwalk uh, michael jackson no that was utb that's right yeah when they pass climbers yes. and you realize how fast, fast they're actually hiking yeah it's an it's an it's a, a but that's a skill scale. you have to learn yeah so yeah, you're going to be doing a lot of hiking in the in the Italian Dolomites, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, a lot. Over sixty percent. That's what I calculated. I, ho I hope that's right because uh, that's kind of what I've been targeting and training. <laughs> I really, really enjoy. Um, I was thinking, you know, I'm I'm a 
I'm a mental health nurse. I'm a mental health professional. We, we talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and uh-huh. I really enjoy how you sort of adapt that into Coop's hierarchy of needs for the, for the ultra runner. And I just wanted to talk to you about like nutrition, not, I know that you've just done a, a you know, you, you, you spoke to Ethan Newbury the other, the other week, uh, the other day, and you were talking about nutrition and stuff like that. What are you going to consume in an event like Tour de Jean? Are you going to just eat from the refugios or will you take your own food? Have you got a plan? Uh, I, I'm going to, you know, affectionately refer to it as the tour de pizza. So I'm just <laughs> pizza wherever I could go. You know, I'm going to my plan is just to consume a, kind of a not an equal mix, but uh, uh, both some, you know, some traditional sports foods. I use a lot of blocks, um, you know, just the chewable uh uh, types of energy, uh, as well as real food. Um, and the real food is going to consist of these, uh, these rice balls that I, that I make and I put into little sandwich bags and, and, and pizza as well, taking advantage of the, of the kind of like, like a local cuisine as well as, you know, whatever's at the, at, at the refugios. So it's a little bit of an all of the above, you know, you all mind, of the above approach. Do you mind giving us your recipe on your, on your rice balls? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just I. It's uh. So the way I make it is, one and a half cups of uncooked rice. Cook the rice. Three strips of bacon. Uh, cook the bacon. Chop it up. Two eggs, uh, scrambled. Put it all in there, and then about a quarter cup of Parmesan cheese, and salt to taste, and that'll make like twelve servings. Or so, wow. twelve servings, probably about one hundred and thirty calories a serving, or something like that. So yeah, a yeah. little bit more, a little bit more like salty, savory. So it's a different, you know, different flavor for profile from the normal, you know, sweet electrolyte drinks and mm, sweet, yeah. you know, blocks yeah. that are needed, things like that. So yeah, yeah. So you get, and, and in that one package, you're getting a range of of macronutrients, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's got a little bit of protein, a little bit of fat in it, so it's satiating, right? That's why I like it during longer, you know, longer efforts. But once it all gets in your stomach, you know, the glycemic index of it is, you know, it's actually pretty low. It doesn't give you a big, you know, sugar high right off the bat. Um, so it's it's definitely more sustainable, and it's a total just to give credit where credit's due. I totally ripped this off of one of my very good friends, Stacy Sims, who's worked with a number of the pro tour teams and, you know, it's just a brilliant, um, uh, physiologist. And I just kind of adapted it into a trail and ultra running set- setting, mainly with the form factor, right? If you just jam it into like a sandwich bag, it can conform to your pack and your pockets yes. and things and things like that. So anyway, it's not, a, it's definitely, I want I want everybody to understand. It's definitely not some like super proprietary thing that I all <laughs> of a sudden came up with. It's been bastardized throughout the years from, you know, any number of different things that I've seen and people that I've, you know, had conversations with. <laughs> That's amazing. And so what, and that, and I guess that kind of, it, what you're saying is it kind of, flows through to the other areas of training, hey, your nutrition, like plan A, plan 
B plan C, you've got a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. So if you're not, you know, maybe, because you don't know, you might turn up and you might not feel like sweet food or you might not feel like savory food. So it's good to have a, a mix of everything, hey? Yeah, I'm giving myself options for sure. Like yeah. I, I know I know for a 100 miler, I can do that. Um, Like I could do that entirely on uh, Pro Bar Bolts. This is just a little chewable I could, and I've done it before and I'm, I'm fair, I'm really comfortable with that. But I'm not under any illusion that, that's going to be the same case when, you know, I'm out there for two and a half times the, the, the duration. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself options. Wow. That really, when you just, just drop that two and a half times the, yeah. the, the duration, that's, you know, like the, the de- confronting that must be daunting or is it exciting? It's at both. I mean, those aren't yeah. mutually exclusive, right? Sure. I mean, I've been, I've been pretty, I've been pretty open that, you know, I've been training scared shitless for this, you know, for this event and I have a healthy respect for it. Right. That's where that, that little bit of trepidation comes from. I've coached athletes for it. Right. So they've, you know, all given me their debriefs on, you know, just how arduous and difficult the whole thing is. So I I think, you know, I'm just giving it a healthy amount of, of, of respect, I guess is, is, is the best way to put it. Fantastic. Did I just hear your dog in the background? Yeah, I've got two I've got two dogs. Yeah. Yeah. How's what sort of dogs do you have? Uh I've got one older English pointer. Uh that's about fourteen right now. And another younger two year old German short hair pointer. Um both both of them rescue dogs. Yeah. And both of them the older dog was one of my most kind of prolific training partners. He's been yeah. all over the Leadville course and all over the Hard Rock course and all over, you know, my backyard, which is Pikes Peak. Um, he, he does not do that anymore. He's on recovery walk status now. Yeah. And uh, the, the younger one is is training partner in training. <laughs> That's amazing. It's I've got a three-year-old. Um, one, he's not. He's nearly three. Australian working kelpie. Oh gosh. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I find these things like you know I'll do a what is a you know a big week for me and I'm absolutely wrung out by the end of it and he's fitter at the end of the week than he was at the start of the week. So you know he wants to go longer. He wants to do more. And yeah, we've got a new though. Uh, thanks to rugby, Matt's dog. We've got a new training metric, which is well, right, race perceived. Yeah, perceived rate of effort metric, which is which is Rigby's judgy face. Because if we're going too slow, <laughs> Rigby will start picking up pine cones in the forest. Like throw- you guys, are, you guys are going so slow. It must be time for for throwing pine cones. Like Rigby, you judgy <laughs> so and so. You know, like yeah. And he'll just sit and bark at us and throw. Yeah, pine. he'll, he'll like, flick pine cones at us. Surely you're, we're not even running anymore. We're we're here to play pine cones. <laughs> Oh wow! Maybe I can develop that something like that with my <laughs> yeah. with my new dog. She's she's going to be a good trail dog once she gets trained up. It's Dylan got a GSP as yeah, well. Yeah, he's got two, two. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You need to run them a lot, otherwise they're just terrors. They are, aren't they? They really like. Yeah. If if, if Riggs doesn't get a doesn't get a run in a day, he's um he's a bit of a nightmare. I'm, <laughs> I gotta say, he's, I he's love running with him though. I tell you what, uh, I when. Uh, when I was running with the older dog that I was mentioning, uh, earlier a lot and, and he did a lot, he probably did 70% of my mileage with me, uh, at his, at his peak. I saw more mountain lions during that, that, that time frame than I've seen in my entire life. I would see, you know, one every month or every six weeks. 
kind of in my backyard and never in a threatening way. They're always kind of running away from us, mm. but they would always just point it out. And so it just made the runs like so much more interesting, right? When you know, that's go- when you know, that's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an interesting, I mean, it, it, I'm now hiding out at the table. Yeah. Eugene has an irrational fear of um, mountain lions, which is interesting because the most threatening thing that we have in Riverhead is uh, weckers, which are like a, a, an aggressive chicken, because uh, <laughs> we have no we have no land born uh, natural predators. They're all birds, um, mm-hmm. which is it's it's kind of reassuring, but also the thought of running anywhere else in the world is kind of frankly terrifying because <laughs> there are you know, bears and mountain lions and such snakes things. and things. Yeah. But it, I mean, I guess it takes that that essence of running with an animal which is so finely attuned to the environment, has no concept of time or is finally attuned to relative perceived exertion and is the ray is always or the the metric of stoke is always set to 11 is is, is really adds another <laughs> otherness eh, to yeah, training for sure i mean i know sure. after after we get recording here i've what i've got to do before i get to work is is, is jam out with rugby on the trails that's yeah what, you know that's, yeah because the, they remind you don't they that running is fun you know we, we can yeah. get hung up on the metrics and the you know i've got to train this way for that run and you know that race and all that sort of stuff but it's fun. It should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely have the most enjoy some of the most enjoyable runs I've ever had with either the dogs that I used to run with a lot. Yeah. So keeping that in mind and, and thinking about like, you know, I guess I'm not sure that perhaps 90% of the people who engage in, well, it would be over 90% of the people who engage in ultra marathon or trail running or running are enthusiastic amateur runners whose, you know, standard of, of getting better might be beating their mate or beating themselves or having a good time from your point of view what's the one piece of of the one takeaway that you could give an athlete to that would influence their performance or satisfaction the most well I, i think it lies in the simple fact that when you're more fit everything is more fun yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So the better the better fitness that you have, your training runs are more fun. The events that you're doing are more fun, just because you're not, you know, on the freaking struggle bus the whole time. Yeah. And so, with, with kind of that as a backdrop, I I think it behooves anybody, even if their goals are, hey, I'm going to finish, right? That's my only goal. And I, I have a lot of athletes that are in that exact same position. Still, you, if when you can stack the entire deck in your favor with high levels of fitness and confidence and a good game plan and all those things that we, you know, that we try to put together for our athletes, it just makes the event. So it just gives a higher degree of satisfaction to the event once once it starts to unfold. Mm. So that that's the one thing that I'd say is that fitness is kind of the key to unlocking all of that. Whether your goal is to perform better or have fun or some combination of those two or something else. Yeah. And again, I guess the two things aren't mutually exclusive, are they? No. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And it, yeah, I like what you said, and I certainly uh, the last race we did, I I used the approach of I took you know veggies and volume. That was my kind of <laughs> that was my approach to the to my training for that that's run. good i like veggies that at, yeah veggies and volume and that was sort of taken from your hierarchy of needs and, yeah, like and, and everything kind of sorted itself out afterwards but yeah. who would have thought yeah <laughs> well prepared. you see this play out because if you see a group of you know a group of training you know train you know, group of people training together right there's a these groups just everywhere right inevitably the person that's the most talkative 
the person that's having the most fun is also the fittest because yeah. they have the bandwidth to like banter and joke around and you know they're in a better mood because their whole like physical self isn't consumed with you know getting up this climb and so if you use that as a little bit of an anecdote right if you just become a little bit more fit you know irrespective of where you are on the on the you know fitness you know totem pole so to speak everything is just going to be more enjoyable your training races your training runs the races that you do it's just a whole it's just better all the way around yeah and i guess it bleeds through into your you know the the majority of your time which is spent away from you know the trails are running it bleeds into your life doesn't it your totally. relationships your you know confronting you know, work scenarios or, or what have you. Yeah, the fitter you are, the better equipped you're going to be to deal with everything. Mm-hmm. Life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you mind if I if I geek out a little bit and just sort of pick your brains while we've got you on? Yeah. On? We seem to be in an era where there's some phenomenal performances being thrown down. I mean, we saw at Western States, you know, two athletes go – you know, under the under the record time, and Jim Wormsley sort of you know completely obliterate the record. Uh, you know, we see uh, you know we could list the the phenomenal performances we're seeing. Have we entered a new era of trail running or trail ultras at the moment, or is it just a you know, or or is this just a natural progression? I I think well, once again, those two things aren't exclusive either. But I kind yeah. of view it through the lens; it's more of a natural progression. You know, st- at the end of the day, there's still not that many people doing ultra marathons, right? Yeah, when no. you when you compare it to you know road running and marathon running, it's still just absolutely pales in comparison, and that's that's fine, right? I'm not saying that that, that that's that that's bad, but because of that, it's still going through this this. Evolution always sounds like the yeah. wrong word because it maturation sounds like it's it sh- yeah maturation. I think is a better word, right? Evolution kind of connotates that it's going to take a long period of time, like the dinosaurs or something like that. <laughs> but, it's, but but it is, I guess it's evolving rapidly. I guess that's the oxymoron for the day. <laughs> um, but um, but but I do view it as a, a, a natural maturation process of the kind of the sport itself and the other thing that i think is really that i think has been really cool to unfold is is the athletes will rise to the level of competition so anytime there's anything that's out there right the utmb course record gets smashed the western states course record gets smashed you know there's 10 athletes that are under this time or whatever all of the other athletes will then kind of turn around and take notice and go, oh, okay, we mm. got to step our game up and in order to be competitive and here's, you know, how we're going to do it. We're going to train harder. We're going to be smarter. We're going to, you know, do this, that, and the other. And that happens in any sport, right? I mean, yeah. that happens, you know, in the league sports here. It happens in the combat sports that the level of competition will always rise as the cream of the crop uh, uh, rises and people are kind of are, are kind of looking at, at how to be competitive and, and I just think that that's a really neat you know that that's a that's a really neat aspect you know if you would have asked you know Scott Jurek who you know mm. Western mm. States multiple times what the you know what the what the record was going to be in 2019. I don't know if he'd come up with that answer. I'll ask him the next time I see him. I don't know yeah. if he'd come up with that answer or not because it's just something that you can't. You know, it's just hard. It's just hard to fathom at the time. Same thing for the for the for the marathoners, right? Yeah. I mean, when the yeah, world right. when the world record in the marathon was you know 215 or 210, there were very few people. Not that there weren't any 
Yeah. But there were very few people that were saying, oh, yeah, there's going to be a sub two hour marathon in our lifetime. Very, very, very few people were saying that. Most people were in the camp of, oh, OK, you know, 208, 209, that's going to get good. Mm. And now yeah. that's not that good anymore, which is yeah. crazy. Which is yeah, crazy absolutely crazy. It's crazy to think. So, yeah, and- you know, 10 years from now, we're going to look at a sub 15 hour Western states and go, man, you know, maybe that person's in the top 20 or something like that. Yeah, that's the that's the kind of it's. That's the really interesting and kind of not frightening, but the fact that yeah, what what will be the new normal? Yeah, you know, and then we're going to get a crop of people going. Well, see if I can knock another nine minutes off that, and if I can knock nine minutes off, can I knock ten minutes off? Yeah, you know? and it's kind of it's mindset as well, isn't it? I mean, like you mentioned the marathon, you know, I, I kind of think of the you know what Kipchoge's doing in the marathon and seeing. Even though it wasn't an official race, that running two oh oh twenty six wasn't it? Um, you know that to his mind that must mean you know it must have given him such an enormous weapon in his mind of oh I can run I can actually physically mm. run that fast yeah. given you know brackets or asterisks you know there was pace cars and all that sort of stuff and paces and things coming in but but it must be and so that bleeds through to other athletes too doesn't it sort of makes the mind push further than it thought was possible. Yeah, the the thing that ultra running has that's that's way different than that though is more and more talented athletes will continue to come into the yeah. sport. Mm. You know, in, in in the in the track and field and road events, that's it's still really limited. You know, I mean the people that are gonna get into track and field are kinda already in track and field, like worldwide. You know, that sure. that that, right. that needle isn't gonna move that much East more. East African arrival has happened long time ago. Yeah. 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 I mean you're not gonna see, you know, those huge influxes anymore. But there's still a lot of room for that in 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 the trail and ultra running space. And so that kind of doubles down on that on the you know, on the progression or the maturation of the, of the sport when more and more people and particularly more and more like talented people come into it. And at the same time, there's already a really high level of, of, of competition and it just has a snowball effect, right? Where you get mm-hmm. more talented people and you have people that are, you know, pushing the performance envelope already. And then you get more people and then they push the envelope even further. And it's just a neat, you know, it's just a really neat process to, to, to observe from my point of view. And I guess even from a career progression, you know, if you've got your eyes set on becoming a professional runner, I think it was someone like Sage Canada said, and I'm not sure of his marathon PB, I think it's around 210, isn't it? Something like that, mm-hmm. around around yeah. that. And he said, you know, I got to that point and I got into the USA Olympic trials or whatever, but I was getting like a free pair of shoes and maybe some socks. You know, that was my, because I'm, you know, six, seven, eight minutes behind the top men coming into something like trial and ultra marathon running, you know, even your, your career progress the the rewards for that performance are, are so much greater you know especially now that people have worked out that there's money in trail running yeah you know the, the the other the other interesting feature of that whole thing is is you're right it used to just be where did you rack and stack on the performance list right yeah or are you first or are you fifth or are you tenth and here's the contract we're going to give you but, yeah. but now in the social media age and there's and, and I think this is a good thing for athletes just because it gives them more of an outlet. They can leverage the social presence that they have yes. mm. in in into better career options. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, as a, as a coach of professional runners, people who carve out a living, you know, do be, being an athlete, any way that they could do that. Right. I'm I, I am all for. Mm, yeah. And so that that's I think that that's been 
um, my opinion, and I'm, I, you know, there are a lot of, <laughs> there are a lot of my colleagues that don't share this opinion. A lot of my friends and, and, and peers don't share this opinion, but my opinion is, is I, I think that that's healthy for the group of professional athletes. And I continue to, to, to encourage those things that they can carve out a leaving being, being a good or a great athlete. But also being, you know, just a representative of the sport and having a yeah. good you know, social presence and inspirational to other people. And the brands finally, you know, some of yeah. the brands have been like big laggards in this. But the yeah. brands finally are starting to catch on to this where they're starting to recognize that they can't just reward the performance side of it. You have to always reward performance, but it can't be the only thing. Right. Yeah. So they're yeah. finally mm-hmm. starting to recognize that they can reward both the performance and the the broader impact that the athlete can have in the community. And that's why I think it's so good is when we have positive athletes that have those positive impacts, we should be rewarding that. Absolutely. And you, you uh, talking to um, Zach Miller about that very thing with, you know, brand and not to be brand specific too much, but brands like the North Face and Patagonia and stuff like that, very much nurturing that sense of when they're athletes, it's okay, yeah, you can throw down a, you know, X, 50k or whatever but it's more important that yeah you, this other stuff that you're doing mm. you know well look this, at what Anna Frost is doing yeah. with, with Meryl Corey you know, Walter Corey Walter you know. yeah absolutely yeah and 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 years ago you're right there wouldn't have been that sort of focus right. on right. this is who I am not to make you know this is who I am but this is what I stand for and these are the values that I align with hey yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been neat to see because of what, like I said, it wasn't always like that. And then kind of harking back to some of my earlier coaching experience, you know, mountain biking went through that, that mm. phase as well. Mountain mm. biking is a really good uh, uh, analogy for the way trail and ultra running is, has progressed where it was really hard for the men and almost impossible, almost impossible for the women to, to making, to make a living out of it. I mean, if you're on a pro tour team, you know, you're making 10 grand or something like that. And that's just not, you know, that's just not gonna, that's just not gonna cut it. Yeah. It's just not sustainable. Especially when like Norba collapsed, you know, like when that, there was that sense of that cross country tour. I'm I'm a cyclist first, you know, uh, but that sense of, I followed that avidly and then it just all went away. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? And I guess it's that same thing too. Just a, a, we've kept you too long, and I'm sorry. But have you followed the whole thing around um, the ultra endurance cycling now with the the Tour Divide and Lael Wilcox and yeah. JP Peterberry now losing his sponsorship with Salsa? Yeah. You know, that's a real indication of the way things are going. Like if you know you're kind of mouthing off or or saying some stuff, and then it has real world repercussions. Well, cycling's a mess. I mean, that, yes. that is, I don't, I don't need to tell Full you stop. guys. That. Yeah. <laughs> Cycling's a total mess from a number of different angles. They're losing, they're they're yeah. losing participants and people just for a number of different issues, right? I mean, you go there's the whole doping thing that people aren't, you know, people are just kind of fed up with. But mm-hmm. then there's a the safety aspect, right, where the roads are just becoming more and more dangerous. Yeah. That's turning people uh, off to off to cycling as well. They're 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 hurting. You know, I mean, yeah. they're 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 hurt, and that's unfortunate, right? Because it is a of it course. is a fun sport. This year's Tour de France is great, by the way. Oh, it's, it's the so better exciting! Races. Yeah, one of the better 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 races that 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 event has had in the past several years. But yeah, yeah cycling, and and I guess the analogy is is when when the kind of the umbrellas category, in this case cycling, starts to do poorly, 
the 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 subcategories of that sport, whether it be mountain biking or whether it be ultra endurance cycling, or whatever, they suffer disproportionately more, right? Because mm. they're the, they're the first to get their budgets cut and for people to stop paying attention and stuff and stuff like that. So mm. none of that makes any you know that 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 it just doesn't surprise me to see some of that, just knowing how how much cycling is is struggling as a whole category. It'll be interesting. I'm I'm hopeful, you know, like, and you see people like, you know, through the Radivist and people like, you know, uh, what does he call himself? Ultra Romance and guys mm-hmm. like that uh, who talk about, though, you know, like where he was supported by Specialized and he was saying the main growth in their budget was in, in touring bikes. You yeah. Know, they're they're yeah. selling less, you know, $20,000 Vengers uh, and they're selling more, you know, AWOLs and more Sequoias and stuff like that to kind of push through. But look, we could... I could talk about this stuff for hours, but look, we've kept you far too long and thank you so much for your discussion. We ask one question of everyone who comes on the show and that is, hey, Jason Coop, what's your greatest run ever? Oh, man. I knew you were going to to ask something along those lines. It doesn't have to be a race. It doesn't have to be anything that you've won or anything particularly, air quotes, epic. Just something that a run sticks in your craw, yeah. Um, it, It actually was just this last year's Leadville um, you know, Lead- Leadville is a pretty special, um, place for me. I've got, a, I've got a lot of ties to it. It was, it was, I, I did the mountain bike race before I ever even did the run. Wow. Oh yeah. It's not a lot of people realize that, but, um, you know, it was my first hundred mile race. The, the, the race director, King, Ken Clover was the efficient at my wedding. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I proposed to my wife at the finish line the first time I did it. Um, and so I've got all kind of all these ties there. And just this past year, right, I turned I turned 40 this past year. I did it again for, God, I don't know how many Leadville finishes I have, like five or six or something like that. And I ran my fastest time. But more importantly, I just had the best time out there. And kind of going back to, you know, fitness makes everything that much more enjoyable. I was, I was probably the most prepared I was ever for it, but the whole day was just really fun. Saw a lot of the, you know, athletes that we work with out there. My pacer was, you know, one of, one of this, uh, guy that I ran with in college that he and I still go on these big, you know, mountain adventures together, you know, 20 years, 20 years later. And so it was just a real memorable run because it tied in all of these elements of, you know, history and things that I'd done for the first time, as well as just a, like a fantastic, you know, athletic day on my feet. Brilliant. Fantastic. That's That's the complete package, isn't it? Well, look, Jason, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, We really appreciate it. We wish you all the best for Italy. And, um, Hopefully yeah. you get a, a wide variety of piping hot, delicious pizza yep. and that you have a great time while you're doing it. We're, we're also pleased that we could exchange you your uh, rice ball recipe for the new metric, the Rigby, Rigby running <laughs> metric, yeah. uh, which I'm sure you can develop into something you know, that, that can be downloaded on Training Peaks. Yeah, you, um, you can have that. You can have that. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but thank I'll, you so much. I'll squeeze that in the next edition of the book whenever it comes out. <laughs> Thanks so much for your time. I really loved how Jason focused on the mental side of preparation. Yeah. And I really love it how he was able to disseminate all that information. I'm sure, you know, and I'm sure he's got graphs and graphs and everything. Yeah. And he yeah. knows, you know, um, and since we've, you know, I've read a couple of Carmichael training things, and I'm, I'm sort of making it my mission to read more. Mm. Um, 
He's got the data. He's got the data. Yeah. Mm. He does. He does. He has the academic punch he does. behind what he says. But also, man after my own heart, when it comes to the old puns, after the interview, he wrote that the chat with us was fun for sure. Get oh, get yeah, it? yeah, yeah. The whole rugby thing. With the dogs. Yeah. That's right. I we just, talked about just our loved dogs. Them even more. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so thank you, Jason. That was such a great conversation. We really enjoyed it. Thanks to y'all for tuning in. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Where can they find us? So you can find us everywhere. You can find us on Apple. And if you are on Apple, it'd be really nice if you could leave a review and rate us because it helps people find us. What was that uh, comment that someone left? Someone loved our accents. They talked about pure melted English. I'm not sure if that's... But they left us five stars. So that's that was, nice. That was really good. Yeah. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, AM Player. All those things. We're everywhere. Mm. Uh, you can find us at Dirt Church Radio on the other social medias. <laughs> That's right. Yep. No one's clapping. That's no, fine. Yeah. DirtChurchRadio at gmail.com is our email address where you can send us your greatest run ever or any feedback. Or be like, was it Ian who burned us on our race result at Wood 2K? Yeah. That came to us via our Gmail. So there you go. Don't forget to write in with your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you. I'm repeating myself. Thanks to our partners. Yep. Ultraspire Further Faster, Cielli and Spring Energy. Thank you to our editor Kieran. And we've got a really we've got we've we're banked up. We are. We are double, triple, quadruple parked, man. Yeah, we are. We've we've got them lining up there like round the block. They're like jet planes circling the runway. That's right. Mm, coming into land with loaded with goodness. Like the drunk woman trying to get out of my flight home over New Plymouth. That's a story for a day. I haven't told you that, have I? No. Anyway, next Save week. Save it. All right. Dirt Church Radio. Ka-kite. Ka-kite. Thanks, Rigby. <laughs>